this is Jay Denson of Fit Health Well. And today I have a very, very um, special person, man, that, that, that um, I had a great opportunity to interview. Um, this gentleman is a Brooklyn native. He attended James Madison High School. He was a standout running back in football that evolved into a prolific public speaker. Uh, he appeared on TED Talks in February of 2019. Um, he was selected to Team USA to represent the country in the sport of para power para power lifting, um, and was the first to be ex- uh, selected from New York City. Um, in terms of his strength, uh, this gentleman lifts over 300 pounds in national competitions. And um, I don't know, we'll we'll get into um, 2020 with COVID and everything, but he was training uh, for the Olympics in Tokyo as well. So we're going to get an update on that. Um, he is also the founder of the Garrison Red Project. And if, if that's not enough <laughs> on his resume, he also has aspirations of becoming the New York City mayor. This brother, uh, I was really impressed with him when I seen videos of him just doing calisthenics and working out in, in, in the park. Um, so without further ado, uh, my special guest today is Garrison Red. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for inviting me on your show. No problem. Now I know that was a lengthy, in, uh, lengthy intro, but did I leave anything out? <laughs> yeah, you left out a lot of stuff. That was just the beginning. You didn't even get into like the middle. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well, definitely. We're gonna definitely cover that, man. Because um, yeah. you know, as we discussed before, what I always do is always have my guests, man, just give a little background um of their story and, and things like that. So. You know, without further ado, just tell everybody and the listeners uh, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Um, at the age of 17, I was outside on an ordinary summer night where I got shot in my back, where I, which I suffered a spinal cord injury. Um, but prior to that, I was a straight-A student going to school. I wanted to actually play in the NFL. I was a standout running back for James Madison High School. I was six in the city in Russia. And, you know, life throw you lemons and you just got to make lemonade out of it. So, you know, everybody's here for a reason. So fast forward, I went to school. I got my bachelor's in finance. And then when I was working at the IRS, I had an epiphany. Like, I'm way too cool for this. I need to be out in the world just giving off some of my good qualities. And then things just started to fall into place from there. So it was like all organic. It was natural. So just basically... Sometimes you just got to find yourself. You just got to think about what you want to become and just go after that, chase that. That's pretty dope. And, and you know, I just I want to spoon feed these to, to the listeners as they're listening to it. Um, you know, I know you spoke about the accident um, in terms of, of, you know, getting shot when you were 17. Um, when that happened, you know, did you feel defeated or like, you know, how did you keep going? How did you find the motivation to, um, you know, to continue on this path that you're on? Well, honestly, I never really like fell into like a depression because like instantly I was around positive people during the initial incident. So it was like for the first few days, I was just around positive people. Once I like came out of the medical deuce coma and all of that for like a day or two. Um, and then the doctor was there. She was, and the doctor gave me just changed my perspective and outlook on life because she was like, Basically, you can't if you can't play in a NFL anymore as a player. Obviously, you could be the coach. And when she told me I could be the coach, you know that gave me that mindset of I could be a leader and I could lead others. Because at the end of the day, you point the finger at the head coach. There's 52 players on the NFL football team, but there's only one head coach. 
So it just changed my perspective. And then being in rehab and seeing people that um, injuries was more severe than mine, um, it was like no time to really like be depressed. It's like, bro, look, <laughs> look at what's going on right now. And you just, it changed your perspective, it changed your outlook when you see, you know, kids that never had the ability to use their arms or any part of their body. And, you know, they're trying to just hoping one day they could brush their teeth. It just changed everything. It puts everything into a different perspective on what you need to be grateful of and what you need to be appreciative of. Absolutely. And then one thing that I keyed in on as well, too, is when you was on TED Talks, um, you know, you said something like life is like lemonade. Right. And and it's kind of like it's that mantra to my grandmother would always say that as well. It's just like if you get lemons, you know, you make lemonade, um, which is if we're translating that um, in terms of your story and what you've been through is you made the best um, out of your situation. Right. I think I think a lot of times um, when um, unfortunately, when someone's confined to a, a, a wheelchair, um, and everyone's different, right? Some people like yourself, they find motivation and they grow. Um, and then other people, um, you know, they find depression, but you were able to get out of it. You said something that I've really, really gravitated towards as well. And you, you put an, uh, line through disabled, right? And you said, I like yeah. to, I like to label it abled with limitations, right? Um, yeah. how did, yeah. How did you come up with that? And, and, and just explain what you mean by that for a little bit. Well, in my case and in many others' cases, it's like we, you, when you have a disability, you have to learn how to adapt. So being that you learn how to adapt, you learn how to do the same thing that anyone else is doing. You just learn how to do it a different way. So that's a limitation. Like you're not going to expect me to run up a flight of stairs, but I can still get up the same flight of stairs. And I have my options on the way I'm going to get to the next flight of stairs. So with that said... It's just a limitation and it's not something like, put it like this. If the whole world was accessible, everywhere was accessible, there was no, no staircases, then there would be no restrictions on wheelchair users. Society imposes restrictions on wheelchairs users. So with that said, it forces us to adapt if we want to do and achieve the things that were necessary, that's necessary for us to achieve. So everyone's different. I mean, me, I'm more defiant. Like, I, nothing's going to stop me. So there's no limit. Honestly, there is no limit in actuality because you can do whatever you want, pretty much. You just have to find the way you're going to do it. Exactly. And I like that, right? I think a lot of us, um, just, just in our everyday life, we, when we think about disabilities, we're not thinking, okay, well, this person can't do something. This is really what you just said is we are presenting obstacles as a society and not making things accessible. For example, like not having more ramps, right. And not having um, these, right. These, these things is just a limitation. And, um, you know, I really didn't think about that until I heard your speech and, um, it, you know, it's amazing that, that you said that. And if there's anything you want to add to that, like, please, um, yeah, let us know. Uh, yeah, that's it though. Like, yeah. So that was, you know, my outlook. So once I started realizing, you know, the how society is imposing these restrictions, it's up to someone to point it out. Like, this is a restriction. I mean, you got to think of it like if Rosa Parks didn't sit, if Rosa Parks didn't sit on the front of the bus, who knows? Segregation might have still continued for years on after. So it takes someone that's willing to point something out that's incorrect or 
that's not equal to everyone else. Exactly. And speaking of, speaking of you know, pointing something that's, um, that's incorrect, uh, you brought up, you know, disabilities in the workforce, right? So my, ne- my next question is really a two-part question is, um, you know, when you entered the workforce, what uh, part one is, what were you seeing um, that there were in terms of accommodations, right? Like, um, what were you seeing that there wasn't enough accommodations? And then the second part to that is, you know, what were the strides that you've taken to to, to rectify that situation? Okay, so yeah, for instance, like as far as when it comes to accommodations, that's the that's the um the tricky part. That's the gray area. The reason why I say that's the gray area is because you're not really allowed to ask what type of accommodation do a person needs when you're an employer because of ethics and things of that nature. However, um in that regard, it gives you it opens it up for assumption. So Someone could assume what someone needs and someone doesn't always need what is needed or what that person feels that is needed. Like with me, like for a desk, as long as the desk, I can just wheel under it. I don't need a special type of desk or I don't need any type of special type of computer or anything of that nature because it was designed for anyone to use. With that says, a lot of times employees feel like the accommodations that they got to make is going to be so much that it it could be a qualified candidate that's willing to, you know, perform the job duties to the best of their ability and probably better than anyone else. But that assumption comes into their mind. Like I got to, this is a course now, now this is a course. What what is the procedure? Because maybe they only did a course for like uh, less than an hour when they went through training on how to deal like with disabilities. And as far as like fire drills or different situations, so all of that is going through their mind and then they make a decision. Maybe I'll go with the next person. And that's why the unemployment rate is so high in the disabled community is due to the fact that I think it's a lot of misunderstanding. So it takes people like, like myself, my thing is to educate others. So, you know, like I have different means of providing education. Like I could provide consultation if that's a means or, you know, I just provide YouTube videos and I'm open to questions. So you can ask me the question at the end of the day, like anybody that hits me with the question, a question on how could they better serve someone else? I'm going to give them an answer to that because at the end of the day, that's what it takes to educate yourself is by asking other people different questions. Absolutely. And, and like, that literally leads to my next question. Um, and I'm going to stick with your term here just because I loved it so much, you know, for people um, who are abled with limitation, um, you know, what is the biggest misconception, you know, that, that society gets wrong and, and, and what can we do better um, in terms of our frame of, of our mind frame of thinking? Um, the, one of the things I think is, and it goes back to the last question you asked is, I think society should ask individuals more questions. So that way they could just be conscious and it would change their perception when it comes to a point where there's a need for them to make a decision between a disabled, uh, able with limitations individual or somebody, you know, that's able body or whatever the case may be. But when it's that point where it's a decision between the one or the other, if they, if they ask those questions, you know, previously to someone who was open and telling them in a social arena, in a social setting or however the case may be, then their perception might be like he could adapt easily to different situations. And it just 
might increase their chances of attaining something they're looking for. Absolutely. Uh, another thing that you, you, you talked about, and it wasn't, it's not something that I thought about at all. I think anybody really thinks about too. Um, and this fits well with, with what our uh, mission is, is, um, wellness, right. And, um, you spoke about the importance of health, um, you know, with, with people who are, who are abled with limitations, um, yeah. regarding that, right. Like what, what, what is something that we don't know about or some things that we don't know about and, and, and what, have what path have you taken um to to look into that yeah well um uh, typically when somebody does have like some type of injury um not only the injury is the issue but their other body parts are working harder because it's compensating for whatever the injury is whatever has a limitation currently so since the other body parts are working harder and your body's your temple it's up to you to you know keep it intact, keep it healthy, keep, you know, keep it moving. And one of the things is a lot of times when you're sitting down all day, you just develop, you know, different bad habits, such as like munching on foods and just not being as active because you're kind of stationary when you're not moving at all. So me personally, I feel like I give out, I do YouTube videos, you know, showcases some of my workouts um, and I open the door for questions. That's at the end of the day, like, the way I work out might not be, you know, the same for everyone else, but at, it can, they can get an idea. And when they could get an idea of my, when I, how I accommodated myself, then they probably could do the same thing and figure out a way just to adapt certain equipment they probably have in the house. And they'll be able to be moving, be active and being active is the key. The body was meant to move. I like that. I like that a lot. I think the second part to that too, and, and, and yeah, help not only any, you know, um, able of people with limitations as well but just regular people like in terms of nutrition right like what are you what are you eating and like what helps um and what's beneficial that that goes hand in hand with your workouts um one of the things i do i try to follow like a vertical diet and for those people that don't know what a vertical diet is i do eat like a good portion of red meat in my diet um pre and post workout i try to have a carbohydrate such as like white rice or um, a potato, depending on how tough the workout is. Also, I try, some days I may have oatmeal as a pre-workout. Um, it, it all depends on the intensity of the workout for that particular day. And um, so that's one of the things I try to get in a good amount of fruits and vegetables. But for most people, what I recommend is just to have a balanced diet. That's pretty much the key. Um, just a simple balanced diet. Make sure you get all your micro and macronutrients in, as well as um, I, I'm a big fruit guy. That's where I get my carb source from, fruits. Um, I try to stay away. Because with power powerlifting, I have to be in a particular weight class when I compete. So I try not to get, oh, I try not to go over my weight class too much, I should say. Definitely. Yeah, and, and for anyone that's listening and is following too, um, because I tend to like to break things down even for first time listeners. When he's speaking about macros, guys, there's really three components to that. Um, it's your fats, it's your proteins, and it's your carbs. And he gave really good advice just in terms of having balance with that. Um, you know, what I've spoken to nutritionists and, and trainers and things like that. And, um, you know, uh, uh, what I found what works and even in my own diet is, you know, when you lessen the amount of processed foods that you have, um, and just kind of just sticking to those wholesome, wholesome foods, right? Like the rice or the sweet potato, um, good fats being avocados, um, and, and, and things of that nature that always help. So 
it's good to hear that from you. Um, that that that's a really, really, really good um diet that you that you're having and, and yeah. conducive to what you're doing. Um, now I want to get into the fun stuff too. Now is the power right. lifting, man. Yeah. So um, let's talk about that uh, again, guys. You go to his will will share the YouTube channel um at the end of the episode. But man, this this brother got some amazing videos. I mean, he's like doing pull-ups uh, <laughs> with, with the wheelchair. Right. And he's just, and then I'm seeing them bench pressing. Um, and it's amazing. So my first question to you is, um, you know, in terms of training, man, how, like, how did you get to the level, like where you was just pumping out like 300 pounds and more? Well, it was crazy because, um, as a kid, like as a child, I was always strong because I played football my father, like, when I was, like, 13, 14, I'm an only child, so he bought me, like, a weight set. He, like, you know, even though I played football, you're like, I don't want nobody bullying you or stuff, so you're going to hit the weights right here. And, you know, it was in the basement. There's nothing to do um, in the wintertime, really, in New York City. Um, it's it's snowing. It's cold. You just don't go outside. And rather than being on the video game all day, I just started, like, gradually lifting weights and then, like, by the time I was 16, I was able to lift like 315 pounds, but and absolutely playing running back. However, um, I knew I was strong. But I didn't know I was world class strong. And then after my injury, I like stayed away from sport. Just didn't care. Like you put all of this effort into something, and it's taken. It can be taken away from you in a second. Then it's like, what's to do it for? So I didn't play any adaptive sports early on, and then I'm in a gym. I started going back to the gym. I'm like, I got to get healthy. Like, you know, I just want to go do something, find a hobby. And from finding a hobby, um, I met this guy. He comes up to me. This is after I had like the epiphany at work and everything where I'm like, I'm way too cool to be at the IRS. Then around that time, this guy comes up to me. He's like, yo, you should play some wheelchair football. And I'm like, I don't really know about wheelchair football. You're going to fall. You could break something. Like, how does that work? And this is not like being paid. It's not an Olympic sport or nothing. So I'm like, like, nah, just come out. So I came out. I met with this guy, John Hammer, from the Wheelchair Sports Federation. And he's like, yo, you could be a Paralympic um, medalist one day. And I'm like, what? He said, I see something in you. Tell you what, I'm going to connect you with, like, the best track team in the country, which was the New Jersey Navigators. And um, I started doing wheelchair track racing. But it was just so cool because, like, everybody that was on that particular track team is one of the best. So it's like all right, now I'm training with, like, I, uh, this one guy, Franco, won an Olympic gold medal at Rio, in Rio, the Olympic Games in 2016. And, um, you know, we on the same team, competing, practicing together every day. Then my coach like, how much do you weigh one day? He's like, I'm like, I really don't know how much I weigh. He's like, we're going to figure all of that out. Don't worry about that. There's a power lift in me. I'm going to put you in it. I see that you're very strong. And then I went to the meet. I weighed like 120 pounds and I could lift 250 pounds with no training whatsoever. And then the next day, like the team USA performance manager called me. He's like, yo, you know, you like one of the, you're one of the strongest athletes in the country in that weight class. Like you could go far. We're going to have a, um, first, first thing we, any Olympic or Paralympic athlete has to do is have to take an educational course. Um, it's like eight hours and it teaches you about the sport, the do's and don'ts. And, it's very technical. It's called, I think it's called like a technical, a technical course level one camp. And it was just a coincidence. That camp was being held in Long Island. I lived in Brooklyn. So everything was coincidental. So it was like, if the light is shining, you go towards it. So I'm like, all right. Then I competed. Um, 
this was back in 2018, I believe. Yeah, that was when I first competed. And when I competed in a competition, I was able to lift 275 pounds. Well, before that, I went to the Olympic training facility because they went to see if I could lift all of that weight in person. So I went to the Olympic training facility where Michael Phelps, everybody been there. You can name it. They was there. Um, and, you know, being in that atmosphere, just incredible because it shows like over, like you got over 20, it, somebody told me it takes 20 years for overnight success. And it's really true. Like it takes a lifetime of consistency to be successful. So it was like, wow, all the other stuff I did helped me get to the Olympic training facility in Colorado Springs. Imagine if I go a little harder. Imagine if I do a little more, it gets you a little further. So it just opens your eyes. And then once I made Team USA in powerlifting, um, and I lifted like 275 in competition, 286 at qualifiers. Um, it was like, now let me, now I got to compete world class. Now I got to showcase my world class strength. Unfortunately, I was scheduled to go to world championships in Bogota, Colombia, but it was canceled because of COVID. It was March 20th. I think the lockdown started. Well, it was like March 16th and the March, the lockdown started like two days prior in New York City, the whole quarantine. But, um, I still been training consistently. You know, the guns are still there. Um, it's, and I got an incredible coach. One of my actual trainers, he coached some of the top athletes in the world in powerlifting. So with that said, and he's very like, um, he's a great guy. Like he's a great person. It's like a Tyson and custom model relationship. Like he's the genius. You just perform. That's it. All you have to do is just show up. I got everything else. The thinking part is I don't have to really worry about that as much, but you know, I'm a student of every, any game. I want to learn everything. So like, Michael Jordan and Floyd Mayweather would. I want to know who was the best, who was the second best. Like me, I keep a rankings list of who, whoever's in front of me in the world. And as I pass them, I just check it off. I love that, man. Mm-hmm. And like, and just in terms of too, like the, when you tell, when you telling us this story, it sounded like everything just kind of fell into place. Like, you know, even from like when he was recruited for the football and then that led yeah. to the power lifting. Right. And it was, it's just like, it's amazing to me. Um, and then I want to talk about as well to, you know, being selected to team USA. Um, you know, how did that feel, man? When, when, when you found that information out um, and then part two of the question is too, is, um, I know you were you was training for 2020 and with COVID, um, you know, what's going on with that? Well, me being selected, you know, like I just think everything's a part of the journey. So a lot of times it's like my excitement isn't there. Even my girlfriend would tell you my excitement is always there because I'm the type of person like this is just a part of the plan. Like this is this was written already. So when I get to the end of the book. Then I'll probably feel like joy, feel like excitement when I win a Nobel Peace Prize or May of New York City or something. Like, that's when I feel like that's when the joy and excitement will come out. Right now, it's just like I just got to stay hungry, stay motivated, and just I want to be the best. I'm not the best yet. There's somebody else in the world that's better than me and got to take his spot. So, and with COVID and everything, like I was saying, you know, I was scheduled to compete at world championships and depending on how I would have did at world championships would have gave me a qualified me for the Paralympic games in Tokyo in 2020. However, everything's pretty much postponed a year. So just, I just pretty much had to stay, I stayed focused. Luckily I had a weight set from when I was a child, the weight set. One thing you never throw away people is weights and books. It's something 
It's forever. It lasts you a lifetime. You only buy it once, and it's good. Take a little bit of care of it. You don't got to take that much care of it. And it'll just do you nothing. And I'll tell you 100%, you are so right about that. Let me tell you something. When COVID started, the two things that I had in my house is weights because you the gyms were closed and you couldn't exactly. you could not find weights in any store. So I always had that. And um, when I was young, my, my, my uncle, he never had a gym membership in his life, but he was in and out of prison. And um, when he would be when he would get out, I would go to the park with him. And all he would do is calisthenics. Calisthenics. That's it. Yeah. He do. I know you know this, but he do around the world, which is pull ups, dips, push ups. He do his diamonds. He do his wide grips. And I mean, he was ripped. So um, if that's a source of motivation, um, you know, use that as well. Um, I don't know if you're familiar and and listening to you talk as well. I I, I take to you um, because you're very ambitious. And um, it, it's good. And uh, it, I recommend this guy. You probably know who he is, but David Goggins. And it's a book. you can't, Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, you can't hurt me. So what I love about him is, um, you know, he, he says, you know, everybody talks about the wins and, and, and you look at, you know, making it to the top of Mount Everest. Right. But we don't talk enough about the struggle. And, and I, myself, I think that's very important. Um, and, very important. Right. Because a lot of people, they see the end result, but they don't see what it took to get there. So my my question to you is, you know, what was probably, if you can reflect, what was one of your life's biggest failures and what did you learn from it um, just during the course of, of, of what you're going through right now? Failures? You know, it might sound funny, but I don't believe there's any way you could ever really fail unless you don't try. Um, I don't believe there's a failure. You either learn or you win. It's no such thing to me as a failure. Like, I can honestly tell you since I was a kid, my, my, when I was a child, my father would never let me quit doing anything. Like, I, I played baseball, like, six years old, like, T-ball. I had a bad season. I wanted to quit, like, middle of the season. He's like, yo, once you quit, you're always going to quit. So with that said, I just never quit at anything. And when you never quit at anything, you really see the outcome of not quitting, like, it's going to be bad days on any journey. You're going to start something. You're not going to be good at it. The reason why you're not good at it is because you just started it. You haven't developed something that someone that's 12 years in has developed. They know everything, the ins and outs. So whatever you're doing, um, I mean, you never really fail. It's like in life, you could really never fail, honestly. You could just plateau. Only people that fail is the people that quit or don't try. If you quit, then you failed. All right. You gave up. If you seen it through and you didn't have the success that you expected to have from it, you learned. That's not for you. Do something else. Or you learned what not to do and what to tell someone else and educate someone else on how to do it. I'm I'm sure a majority of those coaches, like life coaches, they had to quit and or they had to try. The only way you could be a life coach is you tried this, you tried that, you wasn't that great at it. And now you're like, I'm a life coach because I could guide people on how to get out of their situation and just keep trying to do something else. So that's how I feel. Like your life coach is a person who just kept trying. That's it. And I like that perspective too, just because it's like you said, I think uh, the only true way to fail is if you just stop doing something, right? And, and it, it, you know, it, it's really all on perspective. 
um, in, yeah. in terms of how you look at things and, and outlook. And I think when I was when I was younger and reflecting on my own past, um, forthcomings is my biggest struggle was the the learning process, not learning from it. Right, like you said, I, I tried playing. I sucked at baseball, man. Like I played basketball, I, I played football, wide receiver. Um, but the, the thing about it was, it was just like. My my problem was I didn't I didn't know how to at such a a young age and I didn't realize that until maturity but I didn't I didn't know how to learn from something I was I wasn't good at right and and I and and I looked at that as a loss I was like man if I'm not good at this either I failed or I just don't want to do it but you know I really like the way that you broke that down um, because it's a really interesting perspective. Um, the other thing that I want to get into, you brought this up, man, is, is your aspirations of being a mayor. I think that's pretty impressive. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, where did that come from? And, and if you're the New York City mayor, I know this is a big question, but, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a big believer in seeing things through. Uh, what do you want to see um, get better for New York City? Well, first of all, um, the where I got the mayor from is like, Everywhere, like, it actually came from my cousin, kind of, because everywhere I used to go, he used to be like, yo, everybody knows you and gravitates toward you. You're like the mayor, like, and then I'll just go other places. Like, when I used to work at the IRS, they used to be like, yo, you're the mayor of this place. Like, everybody likes you here and stuff like that. So then one day I was like, I want to be mayor of New York City. Like, I want to really be mayor of New York City. I really want to create change. Um, The main thing is, what people don't understand is, like, New York is, Everybody think because it's a big city, the like it's very equal, but it's really not. There's a lot of inequality in New York. Um, people just don't see it. So I just want to bring people together. Um, with the Black Lives Matter movement, it was like the first time in a, I think I ever seen in my years of living, like New York City united as far as like together and everybody was one and everybody was drumming to the same beat. And that's how New York City should be. I think it'll be a much better city if everybody's together, everybody's as one, everybody's standing up for each other, no matter what they look like or you know what what they who they are in life. As long as everybody's looking out for one another, and that was one of the it was incredible to see that and very amazing because I never thought New York could ever be like united with all of our different neighborhoods in New York City. You got this neighborhood there, that neighborhood there, and that neighborhood don't go in that neighborhood. It's just a lot of stuff about New York City that people don't really understand. Like, But it's a very, very... Um, we try to segregate ourselves a lot in New York City. We definitely segregate ourselves a lot. And so I, I think my biggest... Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I think my biggest uh, takeaway with Black Lives Matter as well, too, is that you don't only just see Black people, right? That- like... You see Latinos, you see, you know, Caucasian people, you see um, um, natives, right? They, they are just um, as outraged or they want justice and they want equality um, just as much as we do. And and like you said, especially in New York City, I grew up in the Bronx. Um, and again, like you just, you got those little civil divisions, like the the South the 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 South yeah. Bronx don't mess with the West Bronx like it's always this little yeah. thing and to see everybody Hybrid, and Pelham and all right? that Washington don't get along with Pelham. Webster like you know exactly. it's, just, it's it's this whole divide the same thing with Brooklyn Country Club and all of that in the Bronx right see? exactly <laughs> and and I think that's beautiful um this a uh, movement like this when you even translate into sports. Um, you know, you even see them kneeling. And this was something that, in my opinion, I've seen Kaepernick get crucified for it 
two, three years ago. And now it's almost like a mainstay um, right now, at least before every game. So I, I think that's beautiful, honestly. Yeah. Uh, my last question that I, I'm, well, it's not okay. really a question. It's really a message. My last message before we get into, uh, you know, our promo time and, and the projects and stuff you got coming up, if, if, if there's anyone listening to this, um, and I'm just going to just use this word and, and translate it to what you've defined it as. But if there's anyone yeah. that's disabled um, or abled with limitations, as you describe it, they're listening to this. And I don't know, man, maybe they're down and like, you know, either they weren't disabled prior to an accident and they don't know how to, you know, find a source of motivation or they have been and they're struggling with that. What words would you have for them? Um, life gets better. Life is like lemonade. Life is going to throw you lemons and it's up to you to add the sugar and water, the ice and make lemonade out of it. Um, remember one time I was in a barbershop and it stuck with me. I heard this when I was probably like 12 years old and it was an older guy. He was like, you got to play the hand that you was dealt. Like it's the hand that you wanted. So with that said, I didn't know what it meant at the time, but now as I got older, it's like, yeah, you got to play whatever you dealt with. You got to, that's what you want it. And you're going to make the best of it. You're going to win. And you just got to look at it like that. Like everybody's going to be dealt a different hand, but you roll with the punches. It is what it is. Exactly. And I love that too, because I think a lot of times as well, and I was a victim of this in the past, but, um, you know, we will, we'll kind of get stuck in a rut of like, oh, I grew up poor or I didn't have this and I didn't have that. And it's not an excuse. I had to, when, when I got older, right, I realized that I said I was wrong and I had to reprogram my mind in terms of the way I was thinking. And, you know, when it, like you said, um, you know, and, and I, I used to love, we used to play spades in high school at the table and stuff like that. Sometimes you'll get a shitty hand, but it's how you play that hand. Right. It's how you play that hand. And when I changed um, my, my, my mentality up here, um, that's when doors started opening for me. Right. And that's when I started getting opportunities. And that's important, guys, to anyone that's listening to this is that, trust me, you know, you I'm pretty sure you if you having it hard or you're going through something, you're not the only one to have gone through something. And it's probably someone out there that has worse off with you. So um, it's really just changing your mind frame and, and, and getting into that, that, that right perspective, right. And, 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 you know, going down that right path. So um, we're going to talk about the Garrison project. I want you to get into that a little bit. Just, just tell everyone how you started it, what it is, and then also just, you know, which, what you got on tap. Yeah. So the Garrison Red Project is a not-for-profit organization of 501c3. I started the Garrison Red Project to provide opportunities for children with disabilities, especially ones coming from impoverished neighborhoods. So which consisted of providing them with certain adaptive equipment, such as wheelchairs, walkers, um, crutches, things of that nature to help them achieve independence. See, what a lot of people don't know is that a wheelchair like the one I use, only the frame only weighs about 10 pounds because it's titanium. However, that costs about $12,000. So insurance companies often won't cover them unless you have like, you know, higher, higher, the higher premium insurances and things of that nature. Sometimes you have to come out of pocket. But with that said, I take donations and I raise money to provide kids with these, um, with these wheelchairs and with these walkers and devices to help them get, gain the independence that they need. Because like in a standard chair, I don't know, like, how would a person be fully independent due to the fact that the chair doesn't come apart? You can't put it in a car because it's so heavy. So just little things like that, that people that are, aren't in our, um, 
predicament or never, you know, been around someone that needed, you know, assistance like that doesn't understand. So I try to bring awareness to that. So with, at the Garrison Rep Project, I hold adaptive and inclusive events as well, such as like wheelchair basketball, where able-bodied individuals, you know, such as yourself, can compete and play basketball amongst individuals in wheelchairs. So that way they can learn from one another. And then it creates a culture and an inclusive environment where people become um, comfortable with asking one another questions. So if you see your buddy, you've learned about one of your friends, say, for instance, Garrison, you found out he lifts 300 pounds and he does this and he's very independent and can do this, that, and the third by himself. Next time when you're and you're an employer and next time somebody comes in in a wheelchair possibly and on a job interview and you're doing the interview, you may think like, oh, I know he could do this. I seen like he could do so much more than what I initially thought he could do. It just changes your perspective on the whole community in general. So I try to have those type of events. Those are the ones I really look forward to because everybody gets to learn from one another. And then you gain a friend, you gain somebody or someone that you never know. It could be end up being one of your good friends 10 years down the line. And you're like, I met him at the Garrison Red Project basketball event. And so I like just doing things like that, bringing people together from all walks of life and just to learn from one another. Um, that's the only way the community can grow. Um, people become understanding because what a lot of people don't understand is that one out of five individuals in the world identify themselves as having a disability. So that's like 20% of the population. So it's honestly the highest minority demographic out there, 20% of people. So with that said, you know, it's time for the world to become more inclusive, the whole world, um, social arenas, everything. Just there's room. There's room for improvement. It takes people like myself to start that ball, get that ball rolling, and just learn about how great individuals are out here. Um, also, you know, people want to follow me, check out my Instagram, Garrison Red, Facebook, Garrison Red, um, YouTube, Garrison Red. Uh, I do tons of different types of videos. I'm in all different types of arenas. So, you know, one day I may be modeling. Next day I may be powerlifting. Another day I may be just doing advocacy stuff. So check me out, definitely. Absolutely. Garrison, thank you so much for being on our program. And I'm I'm honored to have you. And, and thank you for putting time aside to share your story. It's an amazing story. And we haven't had um someone like yourself um, on Fit Health Well as of yet, you know, to speak to uh, the yeah. disabled community. So I really, you are the first guest for that. That's an honor, oh. right? So yeah. I appreciate you you doing that and taking time. Again, guys, um, you know, if you're listening to this as well, um, he's Garrison Red on Instagram. Check out his YouTube. Uh, also check out the website. If you'd like to work with him in terms of a community-based project or you'd like to donate as well, please reach out and we'll have more information regarding that. And then again, if you guys want to reach out to us on the show, whether you'd like to be a guest or you want feedback, you can hit us up at fithealthwell at gmail.com. Also, you can check out the website, fithealthwell.com. And then you can also check out the Instagram, same thing, fithealthwell. Again, guys, uh, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you guys listening. Garrison Red, thank you so much. We'll keep in contact with you and keep track of your progress. And when this whole COVID thing is over, I definitely want to update on your, you in the competition, brother. I All wish right. you the best of luck. You keep pushing. And I mean that literally. <laughs> I, mean that. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And this is Jay Denson, and we are out. Peace.